Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Chad. And I'm Charlotte. Charlotte, when I was, I grew up in the church, and um, at that time, you know, I grew up, I loved science. Mm -hmm. I I had a microscope, I had a telescope. Chemistry set. Chemistry set. Yes, I loved it all. Um, and I didn't really encounter what I perceive now as an um, anti-scientific tendency, anti-science mm-hmm. tendency, mm-hmm. which seems really prevalent now. Mm-hmm. But definitely when I went back to school and started studying theology and encountered other Christians, then I began to realize, oh, wow. There are people who reject evolution, who, you know, mm-hmm. and it was surprising to me. So I wondered if maybe we could talk about the relationship between faith and science, theology and science. Absolutely. My tendency is to and, and the to frame it the way it's been framed for a long time in Christian history, that there are two books, metaphorically, two books. There's the book of nature which Mm. reveals God. And then there's the book uh, of scripture, which also reveals God, but both are revelations, different forms of revelation, but both speak of God. Mm -hmm. And I see science as part of the book of nature that it tells us something of our creator to understand how the the world works. So I see both uh, science and theology as compatible. Yeah, I certainly agree. And I think it's actually even more than that. I think you'll agree with what I'm about to say, too. I don't, uh, (laughs) this isn't a conflict, but I think they're not just compatible. I think they're, at least for us, uh, like a necessary partnership in the way that science can help inform my faith, inform my worldview. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, this book of nature, uh, and but then I am also gifted with this theology, with a God-centered worldview. Let's say mm-hmm. that then is going to inform maybe my application of that science. Hopefully, yeah. Because there's questions to- that science doesn't ask and shouldn't ask it's not in its purview yeah um so they are different obviously yeah oh sure yeah i'm just saying i don't there's not only am i in a place where there's no threat as i understand it from science Mm -hmm. to my faith uh but that the scientific discoveries and descriptions of the world around me of this book of nature Mm -hmm. i feel help me understand in some way better the creator yeah. Um, certainly help me in some ways understand myself better, those branches of science, which help me understand others better, which hopefully is going to lead to some deeper love uh, for them uh, or better ways of loving them. But that then when you know we talk about what's possible to do with science, when we're talking about technology, the application of science yeah. in the world, you know, then it's my faith that is going to come in and say, should right. should we do that or not? What is that? That's the Jurassic Park <laughs> quote of like <laughs> your scientists were so concerned about uh, sh- 
if they could do it, they didn't right. ask if they should sort right. of thing, right? And so those are the kinds of questions that I think, you know, faith, philosophy right, are going to come in and inform. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The science is primarily concerned with the observable phenomena in the world, forming hypotheses that mm -hmm. can be tested and verified, understanding that data, forming theories, and from that understanding, making predictions. And, and of course, technology comes out of that. And humans have always been doing that. But within the last few hundred years, it has really come into its own science. You know, for instance, science before the modern era was understood as natural philosophy, but it's taken on a category of its own where it's much different. There's a clear distinction between philosophy and, and science as we understand it today. Whereas theology is primarily concerned with God, and that is where science can't tell us a whole lot. I mean, for me, the real difference between science and theology is the difference between science and metaphysics. And by metaphysics, I mean, in general, the philosophical study of ultimate reality, questions like what is being what is ultimate reality? Is there a God? Mm -hmm. Science can't help us much there. I mean, if you, you ask a scientist whether God exists, whatever answer they give, they're going to be speaking in terms of metaphysics, not science. Right, right. God, at least according to my theology, and I, I, I purposely say my theology, God is not an object in the world that can be observed and quantified. So science is limited to observable, testable phenomena. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense for me that where theology and science are very different categories. There's a lot that theology can't say about science. And there's a lot that science, like you're saying, can't say about theology or metaphysics. Mm -hmm. So that's one area. And then the other area where I think science is limited, like you, just like you were saying, is it can't tell us much about the whole lot about how we should live and what we should do or ethics, right? Is a domain that covers a wider territory than covered by the scientific methods. We can do studies, mm -hmm. um, but they will generally be descriptive. They'll give us information. Whereas ethics are more, they're often normative, not only describing phenomena, but making claims about, how we should live and what we should do. Mm -hmm. So scientific methods are limited in terms of metaphysics slash religious questions and ethical big questions. Nonetheless, I want my theology to, to take scientific understanding into account. Right. Because they are so effective in producing understanding of phenomena in the world and technology. Uh-huh. And so personally, I'm very, I want to be very careful about rejecting something that has good scientific evidence just because it doesn't fit my own theological framework. Yeah. My personal tendency is towards compatibility, which is why I, I, I said that, because I agree with you. Science is a necessary part in terms of the book of nature. I mean, because it tells us about the world. Right. But because there are two different things. I think it helps, number one, to understand the difference and then to be careful about how we how we do that. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm personally, I'm not going to reject something just because it doesn't 
fit my theological framework. I'm probably going to adjust my framework. Yeah, I mean, the the alternative is, well, it's maddening. <laughs> it's maddening. Because you're saying we're, we're, de we're defining science as things that are observable and repeatable, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so verifiable claims, repeatable claims about right. the world, right? And so if you're the one who stands up and says, no, thank you very much. I know all of the rest of you see this. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I know that people across the world of various languages and cultures all see this, have all agreed on this one uh, thing, that you keep repeating this experiment, coming up with the same result. <laughs> and yet I'm going to choose no thank you because of this ancient book that I have <laughs> and this particular way that I'm reading a line of poetry. A poetry, it, yeah. Basically. Uh, I mean, what does that do to the faith? You know, yeah. I mean, I'm just, why am I going to, am I going to sign up for that? <laughs> this, you know, like everyone's standing around saying the earth is round, the earth orbits yeah. the sun, you know, and these aren't new claims either, y'all. No. <laughs> this isn't the new stuff. But I will reject that because there was a psalm that seemed to say something yeah. a bit different, you know? And like you broke, you brought up that uh, that point that Augustine makes very early, even yeah. in his writings, where he's yeah basically says he cautions when interpret, and he's this comes from his commentary on Genesis, and he says, you know, even non Christians know things about the world through reason and experience, and if you reject what's widely understood. Um, based on a text, not only do you make yourself look foolish, you make all of us look foolish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. What I think what we're seeing, this tendency, is a modern phenomena. Early Christians understood, especially if we're talking about something like the first couple chapters of Genesis, uh, they understood that what was being communicated there were spiritual truths. But to your point about, you know, everyone else in the world sees this, but me, based on this passage, I'm going to reject that. I think that's a helpful way to think about uh, the relationship between science and, and our faith. Um, so one, one way to think about it is to think about knowledge in terms of intersubjective agreement. Mm. which is this basic idea that the more we all agree on what we know, the more likely we can feel confident in knowing it. Mm. Right? The wider the intersubjective agreement, the more likely we know. Mm. The less agreement, then the less likely we know. So probably at the top of the list would be things like maths. Mm -hmm. um, often enjoys very wide intersubjective agreement. Most people who understand the terms are going to agree that two plus two equals four. Mm -hmm. And importantly, knowing that two plus two equals four transcends our differences regarding language, social location, culture, et cetera. Um, I think similar to that basic logic often enjoys widespread agreement. If I say Mary's shirt is either gray or blue, Mary's shirt is not blue. Therefore, Mary's shirt is gray. 
as long as people assume the truth of those premises, most likely they're going to agree with the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, deductive logic kind of works like math. The conclusion just seems to naturally fo- uh, follow from the premises. So that that's another area where humans often enjoy widespread intersubjective agreement. But there are exceptions. Of course, philosophers are going to question everything. And there's people who <laughs> make it there. But there's also cultures. I was going to um, say that literally is their job. <laughs> so, <right>. I know. <laughs> And there are cultures with non-dualistic philosophies where that binary true and false kind of thing is not going to work so well, mm-hmm. but still widespread. And I'm getting to the point that science is another area that often enjoys widespread intersubjective agreement, especially hard sciences like physics, chemistry. I'll just give a simple example. So let's assume a bunch of people are going to do an experiment to see what temperature wa- water boils at, right? Mm-hmm. So long as everyone is doing the experiment agrees on the conditions and the unit of measurement, they're all probably going to agree at what point that water began to boil because they're all observing the same basic phenomena. Right. Um, and again, that agreement will transcend differences regarding language, social location, culture. I mean, scientists from all over the world can work on the same project. Right. Mm-hmm. Now that agreement breaks down with softer sciences like psychology and such. And the, the other thing to say here is the widespread agreement we see in science is somewhat tentative because scientific paradigms shift and theories change. But still, it's one of those areas where we can have confidence in what we know. Mm-hmm. Those three areas, wide intersubjective agreement. Then there are areas where there is wide, wide disagreement, right? Religion, ethics, a lot of philosophy, metaphysics, for instance, politics. I mean, compared to those other three areas, these areas do not share widespread agreement, which tells me that when it comes to forming some compatibility between my theology and science, this needs to be considered. I mean, in some ways, my theology is mine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's somewhat idiosyncratic to me that might disagree with a lot of other people. Yeah. But my science and my math and my logic is not just to me. Right. But something that is widely understood and often enjoys widespread agreement. So the Adjustment, I, I think it just needs a lot of humility when it comes to areas like religion, politics, ethics, philosophy, et cetera. I think that's great. I was thinking when you were talking, you you got there. I was, I mean, you were going there <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I was starting to, oh, I, I understand, like, I think a real important distinction, the way that you were laying it out between faith and science in that science, because when we're doing these experiments, like you're saying, boiling the water right mm-hmm. we're going to cancel out these variables right mm-hmm. we're going to be at sea level right and we're going to have this particular unit of mm-hmm. what it's going to be a liter of water and it's going to be fresh water and right. we're going to use this heat source and these things to measure it let's say right. Right? So it's we're going to be the same trying to get rid of as many uh, variables as possible right Mm -hmm. but we can't do that with each other (laughs) and so this idea that you know faith philosophy 
like you said, some of the soft sciences, even this idea that all of this stuff that I bring to the table, all of the variables that are me (laughs) are there. Right. (laughs) And so what can that lead, you know, should lead us to is like you say, this humility about the things that I do believe or the things that I do think I know, because I only do that because of my uniqueness of my eyewitness ultimately. Which is wonderful and beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I think it's wonderful. But I mean, even the things that like, let's say you and I agree on uh, faith wise Mm -hmm. or philosophically, and there's many, many things, but even those things that we talk about agreeing on, I'm sure we agree on them with some particular nuance or some different particular ways of thinking, even Mm -hmm. if they're so subtle that we might not be able to articulate them, but it's because of our experiences are the other surrounding knowledge right. um, our emotional capacity all of these things are shaping our our lives of our faith um and that makes faith not science <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right you know i'm a person who so enjoys learning more and more about the cosmos mm-hmm. right and the staggering expanse of it and the staggering age of it i mean my god you like you know the uh old theologians asking these questions about like what was god doing before creation what was god doing between the creation of the universe like some almost 14 billion years ago (laughs) and then us and then us some 200,000 years ago like that's wild you know um those things always bring me to a place of awe ultimately Uh, because well there's just a place where i have to admit that i can't think about it anymore (laughs) that i'm literally not equipped to go any further you know and particularly now with that james webb telescope and just you know they can point it toward any kind of patch of the universe and just see galaxies and galaxies and galaxies out there it's wild you know and and how that ends up just being like oh my gosh like it's almost then unbearable to think about my own particular existence in the middle of that (laughs) which is healthy in some ways yeah i mean there's one way in which it's like oh that makes me so insignificant you could take that approach right like Mm -hmm. out of this huge thing that's billions and billions of years old then i'm here and who cares right as like this blip but then it's also like out of this huge thing <laughs> that's billions, <laughs> billions of years old. I, mean, I also I exist. Yeah. Oh my! I should probably be doing more <laughs> or something <laughs> more interesting with my little life, you know. Or, or these questions around you know all of these other um, little hominins that existed before Homo sapiens came yeah. uh, on into view, and like what happened. <laughs> not yes. what happened i know what we did that we committed our first genocide oh humans <laughs> yeah but we are horrible but you know when we're asking you know the the kind of uh questions around natural evil used to mm. always usually what people bring up is are the dinosaurs and mm. that mass extinction event you know um which god has some explaining to do <laughs> and we should be thinking about that but ooh. 
what about the almost 5 million years of our hum, human-like ancestors right. that do, don't exist anymore? How do they work in the equation? Yeah, some of which yeah. new research is showing were exhibiting some forms of early spirituality or care for dead, yeah, you know, uh, thing. Um, it's amazing. And that's just rich, fertile ground for me to like think about, you know, I'm not going to come to some big discovery, but to bring those, the God questions into yes. science for rumination is, I love that. And yes. I just, you know, to close, as you say, the book of nature and to close myself to that. I don't know. I like, I like my rich and sometimes complicated faith. Yeah. Yeah, I was disheartened when I realized that there was this huge theory that was rejected by so many Christians, i.e. evolution. Mm. And then, of course, as a person of faith, then I'm like, well, how do they work together? But of course, in time, I, I came to realize, number one, evolution is a scientific theory with a large body of evidence that is either convincing or not convincing. I find it convincing. Mm-hmm. Genesis, on the other hand, is a religious text communicating spiritual truths about God, creation, and humanity that is ultimately a matter of faith. Mm -hmm. And so for me, because they involve different categories of understanding, they're not incompatible. The problem I have with literalist when it comes to Genesis is literalism, because they assume the primordial history, primeval history, Genesis 1 through 11, for instance, must be actual history to be true, number one. Mm -hmm. I don't see early scriptural commentators making that mistake necessarily. Mm -mm. That's kind of a modern phenomenon. It's a reaction to this perceived threat of science that I don't believe is there. Mm -hmm. But here's the other thing. There's no virtue in simply believing it's a historical fact if you don't grasp the spiritual truths that it's trying to communicate. Right, right. Um, So, for instance, what might those be? We can talk about the first creation account and then the second. Here's what I see the transcendent spiritual truths of the first account, Genesis 1 is, and that's the big picture. Um, God exists. Mm -hmm. God is the creator. Mm Mm-hmm. Creation is not God. Mm -hmm. Creation is orderly. Creation is good. Mm -hmm. Humanity is created in the divine image. To me, if if you believe Genesis 1 is historical fact, but you're not grasping those truths, you're missing the point. Right. If we talk about the second creation account, The divine intention is for life and flourishing. I think we can generalize that and just say the divine intention is for good, the good of the creation. The divine intention is for relationship with humanity. You know, they're walking in the cool of the evening. Humanity is given responsibility in maintaining the goodness of creation. Humanity is deceived and chooses against its own good. And this is the whole issue of sin, right? Um, sin is destructive, and then God will redeem the situation, the proto-evangelion in there. I think that's those are the transcendent truths that 
number one, they inform the rest of the scriptures, those truths mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And hence Christian theology. Mm-hmm. If you and again, if you believe it's history, but don't grasp those truths, believing it's history is pointless. Mm-hmm. Science can neither prove nor disprove most of those claims. There's no study they're going to do that affirms or disaffirms the goodness of creation. Sorry. There's just no way to do it because that involves a value judgment and mm-hmm. not a simple description of phenomena. Mm-hmm. And I think for most of those truth claims, they neither prove nor disprove science. So yeah. <laughs> the one assumption that my theology and science makes Again, I don't know if I mentioned this. I think I did. That is that creation is orderly and we can understand it. Mm-hmm. I love this point that you're making because it's it's fundamental, I think, to our understanding or our tradition's understanding of how we should be reading scripture. Mm-hmm. Like literal meaning is one thing, but we're looking for uh, interpretations that call us to something that are going to either call me into some self-actualization are going to call me into deeper love of God, call me to deeper love of neighbor, but that are going to be transformative in some way. Right. Mm -hmm. And that these literal readings of the creation accounts with, thank you for making that face. I wish it came with a sound, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it's nonsense to me to think about that, but I think you're also pointing to something really interesting there or important is that those literal readings are reading scripture as science yes that's ultimately (sighs) the problem there and they're not reading scripture as scripture Scripture. it's no longer a holy text it has become a doing what science does which Uh is describing the world around us that we should have evidence of right? Not as you're saying, we are going to read Genesis <laughs> as describing God's intentions for the right. world. Around us. Uh, something about who God is, something about who we are, right? So when we have an, when I see an affirmation in there that creation is good, then that's calling me to protect it. It's yeah. me to honor it, to not and destroy can, it, right? Right. And we can use science for that endeavor. Yes. Right. Yeah. I can think of at least two things uh, related to these readings of scripture that reject science mm-hmm. uh, in favor of reading scripture as science. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That come to mind. And, and one is that these folks are in a position of defending scripture or a particular reading of scripture like it's let's mm-hmm. be honest about that yeah. these folks are in a position of pr- protecting a particular reading of scripture because it has become their god uh-huh. that's the thing that is at risk right the, the scriptures so, have become god yeah yeah i mean so like we've talked before about this kind of confusion between the word of god in scripture and the word of god in jesus and they aren't there's not a one-to-one relationship but in that scheme not only does that seem to exist but it seems to exist around a particular reading of scripture so Mm. that what science is threatening is 
the whole faith itself, right? So that's why there's this kind of crusade energy against it. And I think the distinction there between the way those folks are reading scripture and the way that we're reading scripture is that, you know, as science informs my worldview more and more through what I learn or through new discoveries, then I'm realizing that the thing that I might be modifying is my own understanding of scripture. Yeah. Again, with all of those variables that I'm bringing to the table. That and I'm bringing to the table. variables is all, always how much I know. Yeah. I yeah. know about the world, right? Yeah. Um, and that's okay <laughs> it, for me mm-hmm. um, because I'm not, it's not the whole scheme isn't going to fall apart, right? It's the one little piece of it that I was grasping in a particular way Mm-hmm. I now have a different handle on because of something else and trying to fit um, these pieces in, in some congruent way. Um, but it's not going to threaten like my idea of the existence of God no. uh, because I haven't hinged everything on, on my one particular understanding of a piece of scripture. And then, so ultimately one of the things I think is, I wish this didn't sound as condescending as it's going to, but here it goes. (laughs) One of the things that I think ultimately is so sad about folks who are rejecting science in favor of a scientific reading of scripture is that they've put themselves in a very defensive position. And that I think is antithetical to our faith to be kind of clutching right onto a particular idea, whatever it is. Um, but being closed to one another, to the world around us, ultimately to the Holy Spirit, I think. And, and it's not just defensive, it's a defensiveness that manifests itself in a very combative way, often. And it's it can, it, it can be so rigid that instead of adjusting, it just breaks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You, you took that right out of our podcast description, I think. That's right. I actually <laughs> thought about that when it occurred to me. 